nowhere to be seen, the only light spilling out from the windows in dirty yellow puddles. The whole place stank of refuse, urine and the beer my uncle's brewery so kindly supplied to the local publicans. I heard Calhoun curse under his breath as he forced the carriage through the dark, narrow passage, past drunkards and doxies too intoxicated to notice our vehicle, or simply beyond caring. The building we drew up outside was indistinguishable from the rest save that it was marginally cleaner. The same sorry individuals congregated outside, loitering without any obvious intention of entering. Every so often, a woman pushed through the rowdy, ragged band, ignoring their jeers and catcalls or adding some of her own. Gathering my courage, I opened the carriage door and raised my skirts as far as modesty allowed, stepping into the filthy street below. To my silent relief, although they eyed me suspiciously and one muttered something indistinguishable but probably obscene, they let me pass unchallenged. The subtle insignia on the carriage doors might have had something to do with that. They wouldn't think twice about abusing those members of the quality who ventured into their territory intent on philanthropy, but risking the flow of ale to their local haunts warned them off. Unlike its dingy, malodorous surroundings, the interior of St Giles Infirmary for women and children was both well-lit and clean to the point of reeking with carbolic. The waiting room, however, was filled with the same unfortunates as the streets outside. Children in torn, dirty scraps of fabric that passed as clothing, and women whose discoloured skin bulged out at unnatural angles around the chin and mouth. Phosphorus necrosis was one of the most common ailments the doctors treated here, or at least attempted to. These women were all employed at the match factories, where the white phosphorus with which they worked corroded their jaws and left painful open abscesses, from which stinking pus escaped. Those who showed no sign of fossy jaw were either accompanied by listless children with whooping cough or rickets, or were marked out for a very different profession by the cheap, gaudy fabric of their dresses, beneath which disease invariably lurked. The clinic occupied a cramped, labyrinthine building that had once housed an abattoir. It seemed to teeter permanently on the edge of bankruptcy, for whilst there were countless philanthropists and ladies bountiful, eager to help Edinburgh's unfortunates, they were less willing to help the women who ran it. Prostitutes, it seemed, could be reformed. Women who had taken a medical degree were beyond help. It was sustained primarily through the indefatigable energies of Fiona Ledbetter, the clinic's founder and administrator, who had somehow inveigled her way into a philanthropic dinner and caught the eye of my uncle, a wealthy gentleman who required some charitable work for a niece with an interest in medicine he hoped to extinguish. My role involved little more than holding surgical instruments, winding bandages and assisting with basic routine examinations under Dr. Ledbetter's stern but approving gaze, but I soaked up whatever knowledge I could. Fiona was the closest thing I had to an ally in this unwelcoming city, and whilst I was loath to trespass on her kindness more than I had to, the knowledge that I was not considered persona non grata everywhere reassured me. With her dark hair neatly pinned back, and a lively gaze that belied the fact that she had been on her feet for the best part of ten hours, Fiona exuded a cheerful authority. Heavy circles beneath her bright eyes suggested the toll the work took on her, but although her colleague spoke in hushed tones of periodic bouts of depression, I had never seen her defeated. There you are, Sarah. Here, take these and go to the small examining room. Rummaging in her pockets, she handed me a roll of bandages and pushed me towards the flimsy partition that offered the patients a modicum of privacy. The patient, though docile at present, had clearly resisted treatment if the overturned tray of instruments and shattered glass on the floor was anything to go by, and from the reek of her breath, 
I suspected that gin rather than subservience was the cause of her present calmness. The wound on her leg was ugly, a few weeks old, and would probably turn septic even with medical attention. Next to her lay a bundle of filthy, pus-stained rags that had probably worsened the infection rather than helped it heal. She eyed me warily. Was she done? She slurred. I'll no have a glaikit bitch like her poking away at me. I've just come to replace your dirty bandages with clean ones, I told her soothingly, hoping that my apprehension didn't show. She attempted a disdainful sniff, which turned into a heave, and I moved back hastily. The nurse, who had been trying to disinfect a fresh cut on the woman's cheek, was less fortunate. Both patient and nurse were hauled off to the sluice, leaving me to clean up. As I knelt to scrub the last of the human effulgence from the floor, I mused that these were not quite the good works my relatives had had in mind when they informed me of their expectations regarding my...